Good morning, I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and I want to invite you to this special summer worship celebration. Ready Vacation Bible School friends? One, two, three. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church. Yay! Listen to the first lesson today from the Word of God in Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. And I mentioned at the 845 service, this was a new story for me, and uh, I hope you will uh, listen, and, and maybe uh, if it's new for you, find uh, good peace with it. On the first day of the week, when we met to break bread, Paul was holding a discussion with them since he intended to leave the next day. He continued speaking until midnight. There were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were meeting. A young man named Eucatillus, who was sitting in the window, began to sink into a deep sleep while Paul talked still longer. Overcome by sleep, he fell on the ground three floors below and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and bending over him, took him in his arms and said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. Then Paul went upstairs and after he had broken bread and eaten, he continued to converse with them until about dawn. Meanwhile, they had taken the boy away alive, and they were not a little comforted. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading continues on in the Acts passage. Uh, so we are in Acts 20, moving on through verses 13 through 24. Listen now for the word of the Lord. We went ahead to the ship and set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul on board there, for he had made this arrangement, intending to go by land himself. When he met us in Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. We sailed from there, and on the following day, we arrived opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos, and the next day after that, we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. He was eager to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, he sent a message to Ephesus, asking the elders of the church to meet him. When they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the entire time from the first day I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, enduring the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. <coughs> Excuse me. I did not shrink from doing anything helpful, proclaiming the message to you and teaching you publicly and from house to house as I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus. And now, as a captive to the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. 
except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me. But I do not count my life of any value to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace, to testify to the good news of God's grace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in 1987, Rob Reiner came out with a movie called The Princess Bride. Anybody? Fans? Good, good, lots of, yep, yep, yep. Uh, It is kind of a, a, a fairy tale, an adventure story. It is innocent, although there's a few words I wish they would have left out. A little bit of sword play, PG, but still sweet, innocent, and fun. Uh, The basic story, and it starts with Fred Savage, who you remember, well, from the Wonder Years, uh, was uh, a young youth who was at home sick, and Peter Falk, Columbo himself, comes in as his grandfather to read him the story, The Princess Bride. He's playing his video games. Uh, Again, this is 1987, his basic video games and didn't want to turn the TV off to hear Grandpa read some story. Well, Grandfather finally convinces him that there's adventure, there's, there's magic, there's swordplay. He says, all right, all right. So the rest of the movie is him reading this story that we watch happening to his grandson. Overall, the issue is about true love. The main character, Wesley, and Buttercup. Buttercup was the female. She was what would become the princess bride as the evil king seeks to take her for himself. Wesley then, for the rest of the movie and story, tries to get to her because he is motivated by true love. And along the way, a lot of fun cast of characters. Uh, We can quote this movie all day. As you... Mm Mm-hmm. Incon. Stop that rhyming now, and I mean it. See? See? I told you. It's not just me. So there's a point where the king kills Wesley, our hero. He was seeking for true love, his true love, buttercup, which I've done in a wedding once. True love the impressive clergyman, how can I not? So Wesley is dead, dead, dead. And uh, his friends, Manny Patinkin as Inigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepared to die. And Andre the Giant in a sweet, uh, again, and loving role. They take our hero, Wesley, to go see Miracle Max. Miracle Max is Billy Crystal, actor, comedian, who has a self-esteem problem because the king's stinking son kicked him out of the castle and wouldn't allow him to do miracles anymore. And he says, how much you got on you? 65, money. He says, I never worked for so little. Bring him in. So they bring him in, put him on the table. Wesley's dead, pulls his arm up, flops back down, pushes on him. 
And Inigo Montoya says, sir, we are in, and bless you, we are in a terrible hurry if you can speed things up. Oh, hoo, hoo, look at you. You know so much about who's alive and who's dead. So he, he takes the bellows from the fire and puts it in his mouth and blows air into him and says, what do you have to live for? Pushes down, he says, true love. And as it, well, to make this more concise, I could go all day. It's just that fun. He says, your friend is only mostly dead. Your friend is only mostly dead, which is slightly alive. And so Miracle Max makes a, a pill, chocolate coating on it, and they take Wesley out, give him the pill, have fun storming the castle. And his wife's in there too. I'm not a witch, I'm your wife. Slightly dead, mostly dead, is slightly alive. I couldn't help but think of this when I read this passage in Acts. We're in Acts 20. If you've been with us over the summer, we've been preaching through the book of Acts to watch the development of the church from Christ ascending, the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost, Peter healing. We talked about stoning of Stephen. All kinds of different and wonderful stories. Acts, one of my favorite books. And Paul has been on missionary journeys, completed his first. We're into the second. People like Barnabas and Silas and Timothy. We've talked about Lydia, others who have been with him to support him. And here, Paul is starting to wind things down. He's trying to get to Jerusalem for Passover. Now, he wants to do this, and so this starts to look and feel along the same lines as Jesus' farewell discord to his disciples as he knows he's getting ready to head to Jerusalem for the events of his crucifixion and resurrection. Paul is starting to be intentional about what he says in a way, because it may be his last time by and last time to speak with these folks. So he is working diligently to get out what he can in the time that he has left. So much so that we enter this marathon session where they seem to have been at it all day and Paul goes to midnight when our poor friend Eutychus says he's a young man. Maybe we'll put him in youth group, middle school, high school. Been there all day, friends. Up on the third floor, he's sitting in a window, apparently an open window with no screen. And Paul's going, and Paul's raging, Paul's doing his thing, on and on he goes, hour after hour, Paul's doing his thing, hour after hour, it's getting heavy, getting hot. He falls asleep, falls three stories to his death. Wouldn't be unlike falling from one of our steeples all the way down, boom. Paul immediately stops, goes down, embraces him, wraps his arm or arms around him, and says, to paraphrase, don't worry, there is life in him yet. Or in the words of Miracle Max, 
he is only mostly dead. And mostly dead is slightly alive. So Paul resuscitates him, and do they go celebrate? No. He goes back to what he was doing all through the night till dawn. It says this meeting, Paul's preaching and teaching went on. So from this time forward, I don't want to hear a thing about me preaching too long. If I don't go till midnight and then to dawn, I am in better shape and so are you. Mostly dead is slightly alive. So after this, Paul moves on and calls elders from Ephesus to him again to bring them together to impart these final words on them. In the whole passage that I read, I know there was a lot of churchy things in there. But in essence, he said, I've always done the best that I could. I've worked hard. I have served humbly. I've been a servant to God, even through persecutions and beatings, even when the Spirit said that persecutions and imprisonments are coming, I still went to proclaim that Christ has been raised. In the last verse 24, I will read to you again. After all of that, he says, but I do not count my life of any value to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the good news of God's grace. To testify to the good news of God's grace. So you have two pieces to this sermon that I want to lift up. First, let's look at Eutychus. How many people, I won't ask you to share with your neighbor, have ever drifted, may have zoned out, fallen asleep, done, done one of the, the head, mm, in church? Hands, go ahead, put it up. Keaton, thank you. Eutychus is the Greek translation for Keaton. It's not, I just made that up. Right. Of course, we know, depending on the day, and, and guess what? And this is going to be so radically difficult for you to understand, but there are churches who have pastors who, when they preach, it is boring to them. And they zone out, and they go to sleep, and they think, what's for lunch? And I know, it's hard to believe, but it's true. And in this case, Paul full of charisma, full of God's Holy Spirit, full of his relationship with Jesus Christ, full at this point of his developed and now professional missionary status of starting churches, convincing people about the resurrected Christ, directing churches, which in my mind means he's a pretty good speaker. And yet, Poor Eutychus falls asleep, falls out of the window. So the first thing, obviously, is let's talk about worship for a second. Worship happens in a variety of ways, even as we speak around the world, 
People are worshiping in a variety of different ways. In beautiful churches, strip malls, homes, huts, open space, any kind of venue, any kind of enclosure or just open in the woods. People are lifting up God's name and worshiping. We all do things a little bit differently. We do what we do here. They do what they do down the street, around the corner. And all of that is great. Because it means that we should be able to find a place where we feel connected. In the worship wars, does that mean that if it's contemporary, then it's good. If it's traditional, it's bad. Or if it's traditional, it's good. If it's contemporary, it's bad. Do you have to have instruments to listen? Do you need a a pulpit and a robed minister to hear the Word of God? All excellent questions. But the answer should be, if worship is to have its integrity, Christian worship, it needs to have two things, Scripture and some kind of proclamation. Scripture must be there as a part of what's being done. Otherwise, charismatic leaders can say, this is what I think should happen, and not be following God's Word. I can tell you happy stories to make you laugh and cry in the same sermon. Internet's full of them. But unless we're exploring Scripture together and treating Scripture and coming back and bringing it up in a way that it speaks to us, we're missing out on God's voice. Now, I'm not writing anybody off or saying any one category of worship is not that or is. I'm saying... By my definition, Scripture and some kind of reflection on that Scripture is necessary for Christian worship. So it doesn't come to be about me or us. It's about God and what God would say to us through God's Word. But at the end of the day, worship isn't about us, and I think we forget that often. Worship's about God. The worst sermon in the church that is the most uncomfortable for you, in the worst place, at the worst time, should still have a message from God if Scripture is read. Maybe you don't go back. Maybe it's not where you connect. But where God's Word is read is where God's Word is. So it's not so much about us finding the perfect spot Certainly, you want to connect where you feel like you worship and you're being fed. But remember, we come to worship God, not our own self-interests. What we get from worship is almost bonus. It is transformation when we open ourselves to worship and follow Christ. Worship can and does look very differently with our Christian brothers and sisters around the world, as it should but we share God's holy word as the basis for that. Not all about us, but of course you want to connect and feel like God is here and you're being fed. So we don't know what's going on with Eutychus. Maybe you had a lock-in the night before. 
Maybe had the temple walk in. Maybe they traveled a long way to get there to be with Paul. It was midnight for crying out loud. They were at it several hours. They made him sit on the window that probably wasn't that comfortable. And for whatever reason, he fell asleep, he fell asleep. And died. And Paul comes and finds him in a very understated account of a resurrection, of, in this case, a resuscitation, and brings him back. Oh, there's life in him. Brings him back up, goes about his business. It is that embrace that Paul gives to this life that was mostly dead that is important for us. What are those things that we may look at in our lives that are broken, that are dark, that are mostly dead? It could even be our faith. It could be looking at the news stories and the world that we live in and think there is no hope. What Paul does in his embrace is to say that we are never beyond hope. And no matter how dead we think we are, each other, the world, that there is hope. Because mostly dead is slightly alive. And we are a God who Rachel Held Evans says brings dead things to life. And that's what Paul did. And again, very understated. They just go on with the business of getting back to the work that Paul was doing. Did Eutychus stay? I don't know. Did he go back up to the window? I don't know. But the important thing for Luke, the author, was to chronicle that Paul was teaching them and what he was saying to them. My life is given to testify to the good news of God's grace. Good news of God's grace. Of course, the church is challenging. The church is an institution run by sinful human beings. Of course, it's going to reflect that. But it also reflects the light and love and grace of Jesus Christ. So many look at the church, an institutional church, it's the opiate of the masses, man. Well, okay, yeah, and it can be used that way. The church has done horrible things to people throughout time. There's no denying that, no need to. But the church has also been the presence of Christ and the grace of God from the beginning of time as well. And, of course, the church is going to let you down at times, and you will let the church down at times. We are human beings called to be in relationship. And the grace lies in our relatedness, not our separateness. So many claim that category of spiritual but non-religious. Sunday school, we talked about the nuns, not the Roman Catholic nuns, but those who reply in surveys as Religious affiliation, none. So many of them grew up in Christian families and churches. And of course, the church needs 
to change while standing on the gift of who it is. But if we swing too far the other way, it's very easy for folks to say, I'm spiritual but religious, therefore I don't have to do a thing. I claim some connection to God or a God, but the church is an institution I don't want to be a part of, and so no one is pushing me, no one is teaching me, I'm not serving, I'm not worshiping. Can you worship God on your own? I think you can pray on your own. I think you read scripture on your own. I think you can serve people on your own. But worship, by definition, is a corporate event. And we cannot do it alone. Because if we do, even if we're out on the lake or on the links or up the mountain or on the kayak or wherever we go, in the garden, and we give God some time, which is great and appropriate and perfect, it still is not the same corporate worship. It is still not what you would experience if you went to a place with others who are also opening themselves to the presence of the Holy Spirit, seeking to be a true church family, getting to know one another. Calvin Coolidge, 30th president, had a friend that said, do you mean that I can't be fishing and worship God? And he said, well, you can, but you don't. And I would take it a step further. You can, but what you can do has its limitations. Again, when we are with one another, we are here with all of these heart, soul, spirits, and lives. And we share that. And we push each other in the way that we study and communicate. If we are isolated and it's just me and God in the Bible, again, we want that to a certain degree, but you only can get so far because nobody's pushing, nobody's teaching, nobody's learning. And you stay stagnant just by yourself. And you can do that some. Again, do that when you're in those moments. On Sunday, I told you to get your waterproof Bibles and take them with you out on the lake. When you're hiking and camping, put, put a Bible in your golf cart. Put it on the boat. And just open it and say a prayer of thanksgiving. Read one of the Psalms about how majestic and amazing our God is. So yes, worship is important, and this is something we do together. Of course, at times you're into it, in times, you're challenged. But this is kind of like the story of the two boys that were talking about Noah's Ark. And one said, can you imagine what that must have been like on the Ark? 40 days, all those animals, nowhere to go, stinky, dirty, animals everywhere. I don't want that. And the other boy thinks for a minute and says, yeah, but it was still the best thing afloat. Church can be like that. Sure, it's not perfect. No church is, no organization is. But it is the vehicle that has been afloat for Christ since Christ brought that into power with Peter in Matthew's gospel. 
and I believe will continue until Christ comes again in some way, shape, or form, the church of Jesus Christ will always be present. So then our job is to learn from Paul to embrace those things that we see as dark or dying and share the gift of grace, God's love. God's love, the gift of grace. There is so much bad news, so much, whether it's shootings, whether it's politics, whether it's world, whether it's local, we are bombarded with a bad news cycle that never ends. I've had to stop watching as much as I used to because it is overwhelming and takes us all. How do we respond to that as Christians? We share the good news of God's grace. We counter bad news with the good news that we've been given. Bad news will always be there, and the world gets darker and more depressed because it is overwhelmed with the bad news. Our job is to take them the good news of God's grace. Maybe that's a conversation. Maybe that's a hug. Maybe that's tough love. Maybe that's going to places where there are difficult people. Maybe you won't be warmly received. And maybe God is changing a life through you. Grace is that thing that encompasses all of God's love, all of God's forgiveness, all of God's mercy. The fact that God walks with us in this life and the next, all of that is in grace. Amazing grace. How sweet is that sound? It is better than that. That's why I say every Sunday, the good news is better than good. It is amazing and overwhelming. And that's what we know that we have to go outside of the walls and share it with a world that is immersed in bad news. So let us learn from Paul that we are to embrace those things that seem to be dying in our own lives, in our families, in our churches, in our communities, and in the world. And through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, we share with them the good news of God's grace. Hallelujah. Amen.